Here we go. Start a new journey here this morning. So we are going to begin a journey through the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. We went through Ephesians, another one of Paul's letters to the church at Ephesus. And now we're going to look at the letter to the church at Philippi from the Apostle Paul. And Philippians has four chapters. So we're going to go through, we're going to break up the four chapters into different series. And so we're going to kind of unpack the truths of this beautiful letter to the church at Philippi. So before we, before we get into this, before I introduce this first series in Philippians, I just want to pray, ask the Lord to uh, help me to speak clearly and help you to hear with receptive hearts. So let's go, let's, let's go before the Lord. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of uh, opening your word. Lord, you have spoken to us most clearly through your word and that is the way in which you direct our lives and guide our lives day in and day out is through your word. And Lord, I ask that we would have receptive hearts to hear what it is that you're saying to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly, help me to articulate the things you've laid on my heart. And I just pray, Lord, that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to look at a subject. The title of this individual message is called The Birth of a Church. The Birth of a Church. And this church that we're going to see birth is the church uh, at Philippi. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, from prison. He was in prison. He was, he was in a prison in Rome for his faith, being persecuted for his faith. He's in prison. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And this letter... Uh, was written because he had received word, uh, he had sent word from prison to uh, uh, fr- uh, a messenger to go to Philippi to check out uh, what was going on in this church that he, that God used him to birth, to plant in Philippi. And so he had received word back, he had had communication from them, not only about the, the, the good things that were going on in the church, but he had received from them financially. They had, they had sought to meet his needs financially. And so he, this, this letter, when we go through Philippians, it is a letter of joy. It's a letter of joy. It's a, it's a love letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And it is, it is really clearly seen as, we, as we're going to dig in to the text, as we, as we go through, especially in these first two chapters, we're going to see this love relationship, this heart from the Apostle Paul to these people that he was able to, to kind of see a church birthed in. But the Apostle Paul, what's unique about this letter is that the Apostle Paul could not stay like he normally would for two or three years to see the church established and have leadership established and to have it really kind of kind of uh, uh, grow, he had to leave in a hurry because of persecution. And so there was this longing in his heart to see that they were okay. And, and you can hear it in the language that we're going to see over these first seven weeks. He he wants to make sure that they're okay. And he wants them to know that, that they are in these prayers, that he earnestly is praying for them. And he loves to see their faith, the testimony of their faith that is growing and their life is growing in Christ. And so it's just a, it's just a love fest. It's just a love fest. And, and actually the book of Philippians is probably the book that all the t-shirt designers and all the coffee cup makers in the church, that, uh, that they, they specialize in Philippians. Some of the most powerful verses that we put on coffee cups and t-shirts are in this book. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For I am confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ. And on and on and on, we have all these power phrases, power sections that the Apostle Paul speaks. And so we're, it's just a beautiful book. It's a wonderful journey. But what I want to do is before we get into it kind of verse by verse and go through each section, what we're going to do is we're going to do a series. The first two chapters, there's really a couple different themes that, that I could have taken with it, but I, I really felt like that, that, that this, this theme, this, this one theme that you really see in the first two chapters is a theme of unity. It's a theme, it's, it's a theme of unity between brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I'm calling this first series Partners in the Gospel. Actually, that's verse, verse 4 and 5, uh, 3 through 5, which we won't have it on the screen here, but this is what the Apostle Paul says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And that's where we're going to kind of launch from, from this whole series, is that we are partners 
in the gospel. And there is this relationship that, that we have, that, that we work together for the singular purpose of the gospel moving forward in our lives and through our lives. And so this is going to be a seven-week journey on the unity in the body of Christ and how unity is needed for us to recognize that we need each other. We need God, as we so desperately prayed earlier during, during our time of worship. But, but we need to understand that not only do we need the Lord in his presence and his power, but we need the power that is released in a local congregation when we recognize that we need each other and that we love each other and that we support one another, that we pray for one another. So we're going to go through seven weeks of this. But before we, before we dive in to kind of the details of all of that, I think we need to look and see how the church was birthed. You know, the church of Philippi, or, or I should say the book of Philippians, actually doesn't begin in Philippians, though it does. The book of Philippians begins in Acts 16. Acts chapter 16 gives us the narrative of how the church at Philippi was birthed, how the apostle Paul was sent to Philippi, and, and the miraculous, amazing things that took place, and how the church was birthed in Philippi. So we're actually going to begin our journey in Philippians in Acts Chapter 16. But before we get to Acts 16, let's read the first two verses of Philippians. This is Paul's greeting to the church at Philippi. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You know, and that, that word servant is the, is, the, is the Greek word doulos, which means bondservant, which means slave. So the Apostle Paul is expressing something really powerful here. And I could have had a whole message just on that one verse right there. That as believers in Jesus Christ, we are bondservants. That we used to be enslaved to sin. But now we are slaves of Christ. That our lives are fully surrendered to him and we belong to him. He, he describes himself, not as this great apostle, but he says, I am a servant Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the introductory greeting, but before we get into verse 3 next week, I just want to tell you I will not be here next week. I'm going to be on a cruise with my beautiful wife and no children for five days. If I keep talking about it, I may walk out the back door right now. But the only problem is, is that the cruise ship's not there waiting for me. <laughs> it's going to not be there until Saturday. But Pastor Matt's going to pick up next week at, on, on, at, at verse 3 in Philippians chapter 1. So just pray, pray for a time of refreshing for my wife and I, and we're going to have a great time. I've never been on a cruise. They tell me that it's wonderful. You get to eat all the time. And, yeah, oh, yeah, there's some cruisers in here this morning, huh? You eat all the time whenever you want. Uh, and I think I need to take probably some medicine for the, the moving of the boat, but I think we'll be okay. Uh, it's going to be great. So, but I, I won't be here. I will be with you in spirit, uh, but with my wife in the flesh. <laughs> so before we dive into the details, and I'm too distracted here, uh, let me gain my composure. Let me get a drink of water here. Sorry, sweetheart. So here's what we're going to do. Acts 16, the narrative of the birth of the church at Philippi, has four sections, has four parts to this story that are really powerful. And so we're going to actually read all four sections. And I have four thoughts for us to consider about God's purposes in the earth. I have four thoughts for us to consider as we read about the birth of a church, about God's purposes and how he moves in the earth and what he does. And so let's go to Acts 16. And we'll start reading in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Isn't that interesting? Just an interesting thought there. We're going to unpack that right there in my second thought as we go further into this message. But Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word somewhere in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to, to, into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, two places, the Spirit said no. So, passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, 
urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so the first thought in this section that I want us to think about is concerning the purposes of God in the earth is this. Number one, the purposes of God begin with a call. It begins with a vision. It begins with a call that God calls you and says, go. The purposes of God in the earth begin with a call. God calls you and says, go, do this, do that. Take this job, go there, marry that person. Do do this with your life. But specifically concerning a church, specifically concerning our lives as Christians, the purposes of God being worked through my life in your life and the gospel moving forward through us individually and corporately as a church it begins with a call god calls us to go he calls us to go and preach the gospel and and we're going to look at it later sometimes god says no not right now don't go here don't go there but he says now's the time to go here but the call is to go The purposes of God begins with a call, begins with a vision. The gospel purposes of God begin with him speaking to our heart and saying, now go do this and do that. Where do we get our call as believers in Jesus Christ? What is our call? What is our responsibility? Where do we find that in scripture? Anybody? Where do we find that? Jesus said it. That's a clue. One of the last things that he said, that's a clue. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus said, this is before he ascended. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is what we just did. We have some disciples that got saved and the disciples went public and they got baptized here this morning and it was beautiful. That's what we're called to do. Go therefore, make disciples, baptize the disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then what do we do with disciples? We teach them. We teach believers. We disciple them in their faith, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when you're talking, when we're talking about the birth of a church, this is where it should start. When you're talking about the core of what we do as a church, this is where it starts. And this is where it started In the city of Philippi, it started with the Great Commission because Paul the Apostle was driven by the call of God to spread the gospel of God wherever he went. He wasn't there to hear the Great Commission. He actually persecuted the church that went and and, and went forward with the Great Commission. But the Lord, the Lord saved him. He was Saul of Tarsus and and God got a hold of him and, and, and struck him down off of his donkey on the road of persecution to persecute Christians. And he had birthed in his heart the call of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And he went everywhere that God called him to go. And he did it. Listen to this. He did it in spite of intense persecution. And you read in in the book of Corinthians and he writes about all the persecutions that he went through. It didn't matter. He went wherever. He went wherever the Holy Spirit told him to go. And he preached the gospel with compassion and with boldness. No matter what the cost was. Why? Because the purposes of God in your life and in my life and in this church. And they begin with a call. And I just want to tell you this. That God has given us a call as a church. And that call is to go. It's to go and declare, go and proclaim. This is the central purpose of why we exist as a church. And there's many things we can do as, 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 as a church, as a congregation, and, and we do them. We gather on Sunday mornings and we sing songs together. And we pray for one another and we hear God's word taught and, and we have D groups and life groups and, and, and we do all these different programs and things. And none of those things are, are, are bad. They're all good. They're a part of us growing in our faith. But we must never lose sight that the primary purpose that we exist for as believers in Jesus Christ on planet Earth is to see the gospel move forward through our life. That's it. If all we are is a church that gathers on a Sunday morning, that's all we do. And it doesn't become actually a going for us in our life that we've missed the point. Have we not? If Jesus, the last words that he said were to go, therefore, and make disciples, then that means that I go, and you go, 
As believers, I go, you go, we all go. And what do we do? We go wherever God sends us. Just like, just like the Apostle Paul, the, uh, he felt like he wanted to go here. The Holy Spirit said no. He felt like he wanted to go here. The Holy Spirit said no. But the Holy Spirit said go here. We go wherever the Lord leads us, but we go. It's a position and a posture of willingness to agree, to answer the Great Commission. This is a central purpose of why we exist as a church. We exist as a church so that we would become, so that we would all become mature in Christ and do the work of the ministry. That's Ephesians chapter 4. When we went through Ephesians last year and the the beginning of this year, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about what happens when we gather. When we gather, we gather for the mutual building up of our faith. Wasn't it powerful during the time of song when we could all hear each other's voices? Wasn't that powerful? It's such, a, it's such a mutual lifting up of our faith because I can hear you and, and I don't know what you're going through and you don't know what I'm going through, but we're all going through something, right? We're either in the middle of a storm or we're about to head into one. But what's so powerful about singing songs about Christ together as a congregation is that no matter what we're going through and sometimes especially when we know what each other is going through and we hear each other sing, it's so much of an encouragement to my soul and to your soul. So that's why we gather. We gather for all those reasons, but we gather so that we can hear the word of God taught, so that we can mature in our faith, and so that we can go. So that we can go and be what God's called us to be in the earth, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting? Let's go back. I have this verse highlighted here. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia. Now, Philippi, Philippi was in the region of Macedonia. Okay? So listen, Paul gets this vision in the night, and a man from Macedonia was standing there urging him. When you're urging somebody, it's a passionate plea. He's urging the, the Apostle Paul in his vision, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. We need help. Here's what I want to tell you. We need a vision like the Apostle Paul had. We have to see what he saw. We have to see. What did he see? He saw the lostness of people. We have to see that. We can grow so numb to it all around us. I'm telling you, it's so easy. The the depravity of man and the lostness of our society today, we just see it in so many different forms. And if we're not careful, we can forget like the man in the vision calling from Macedonia, urging, come, we need help. And here's what I'll tell you. There are people that we see that are lost in this world and we think they're not calling for help. But I'm telling you, they are. They don't know that they need help, but they urgently need help. We need a vision to see like Jesus saw. We need a vision to see like the Apostle Paul saw. We need to see people in our lives, even the ones that we think are the, are the worst of the worst sinners, that want nothing to do with God. We need to be able to see beyond what we see on the outside and see the true condition of their heart and recognize that they are desperately crying for you to give them truth to help them with the hurt that they're going through, to show them that they don't have to live this way in this cycle of pain and brokenness that that is the result of sin. That they can be free, they can be forgiven, they can be delivered, they can experience the freedom that only comes through the gospel. That's something that you've experienced. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. That's why you were singing passionately. And they're urging us. We need a vision to see that people are urging us. We need a vision of people in our area. I loved what Chad Young said. Chad and Kaiser Young are the leaders, are the new leaders of the young adults. And whenever we prayed for him and her that Sunday to announce that they're leading the young adults, and Chad gave the statement, he said something about the 300,000 people in our tri-parish area. That, 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 that has stuck in my heart since that Sunday. We need a vision of the people in our area, 300,000 in the, in the tri-parish area, urging us to come and help. We need to allow the Lord to fill us with his compassion. We need the Lord to help us see as he sees. How did Jesus see? What did Jesus see when he saw people? What did he see when he saw broken people? Matthew 9 tells us, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages to Shover, 
to Berg, to Homa, to Schriever, to Thibodeau, to Morgan City. He went over, he went all the way, right? Jesus in you goes to all the cities. He went to all the cities and the villages. He goes everywhere. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Listen to this. He had a vision. He saw something, but when he saw the crowds, what did he see? He saw their need. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We must not focus on the brokenness of those around us, but rather on the answer we have for their brokenness. You guys hear me? We have to be careful that we don't get so caught up in the sin that sinners sin. That we can't see actually what's going on. It's easy to do. Because we get disgusted by it. Like, oh, it's so disgusting. So vile. So sinful. You know what the truth is? They're just broken. Sinful. They're broken. They're living out their brokenness. They're living out their depravity. That's how they're supposed to live. So we cannot allow ourselves to be so caught up in what we see the lost and the dying world doing and and how they're living. And we have to be able to see that they actually, for them to be free, that, that, that the enemy has them trapped. The enemy has duped them, has lied to them, and got them to believe that living this way, living these ways, these lifestyles, this approach to life is what they need. And they don't know any different. They need to know that they can be forgiven. They need to know that God is holy and that they need forgiveness. They need to know that God will be their judge, is their judge. And one day they will stand before him. They need to know the truth. And they need to know that whenever they hear the truth of the gospel, that they can be free, that they can be delivered. Have you been delivered? You've been set free? Amen. If you're in Christ, You are a new creation. Romans 10, Apostle Paul says this, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Got to have a preacher. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There must be a call. The call is to go. So we have, we've been sent by the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, to go. We have our call. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach the good news. Got to have a preacher. Any preachers here this morning? Am I the only preacher here this morning? How many preachers here this morning? All right, that's like 20%. Do I need to, should I start over? Let's go back to the beginning. Matthew, what, what, Matthew 28. How many preachers we have here this morning? Amen. We're preachers. I didn't say pastors. I said preachers. Listen to this. This is the purpose of the church. This is why we do what we do. When God calls us to do something, when he calls us to preach the gospel, what do we do? What did the Apostle Paul do? I love it. Let's go back to that text there. It says, immediately we sought to go. So what do we do? Immediately we seek to go. The Holy Spirit said, don't go to Asia. Don't go here. I want you to go to Macedonia. And what the Apostle Paul said? He said, immediately. Immediately. It wasn't, oh, well, maybe, I don't know. It's not convenient right now. I just, I just had some children, or this job is really busy, or, or all these different lists of reasons why it's not convenient, or they're really not going to listen. And look, I can come up with, with as just as many excuses as any of you can come up with as to reasons why we shouldn't go. We shouldn't open our mouth and declare the truth of Christ. But you know what the response is and should be immediately? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we're going to go. Immediately we seek to go. The gospel purposes of God, the purposes of God, begin with a call. Begin with a call. Secondly, the purposes of God 
are providential. The gospel purposes of God in the earth are providential. God is providential. He is sovereignly moving in the earth. And let's go to the text there, Acts 16. Let's continue on this journey. So Paul got the call. Go to Macedonia. Go to Philippi. He immediately got up. They sought to go. Immediately they sought to make their way. And now we continue, Acts 16, 11 through 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the gospel purposes of God, the purposes of God in our life and in our church, it's providential. God's purposes in the earth are providential. Let's think back to what we read earlier. The Holy Spirit said, don't go here, don't go there, but go here. And so Paul obeyed and he went there. And what's interesting is he gets to the town. This was Paul's custom. If you read other churches that Paul has planted, his custom was was to go to the synagogue, to go to find the men of the synagogue, the place of prayer, the synagogue, the place of worship for the Jews, and to begin to discuss the Old Testament scriptures concerning Christ, the prophecies concerning Christ. And he would reason with them. He would reason and say, look, I'm telling you, he's the Messiah. Look what Isaiah said. Look what this prophet said. It lines up. He is the Messiah. He would reason back and forth with them and show them that Jesus was and is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But God had a different plan for Paul in Philippi. They supposed that they would find a place of prayer, and they supposed, as was their custom, they were going to find men. But what did they find? Women. They found some women that were worshiping. I just want to tell you, God's got a plan. It doesn't matter, man, woman, young or old. God wants the gospel to go to everyone. And I just, this doesn't really make sense to us a lot in our culture today, but in that culture, men weren't going to discuss serious matters with women during that time, especially Jewish men. Now, Paul was a Christian now, and, and he was breaking through those barriers, but this would have not been the custom. For him to sit and talk with women about the way of God. They were going to talk to the men first who would then talk to their wives and their families. But God is providential. He has a plan. And here's what what I want to remind us all. So specifically in your life, don't forget that God is working and doing things that you don't understand all the time. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our life and so overwhelmed in our circumstances that we can forget that God is providentially at work even when we can't see it. And can you imagine the Apostle Paul, he gets to the region, he's like, all right, I'm going I'm to go to the synagogue. I'm going to go find the men as I always do. And wait, where's, where's all the men? There's no God-fearers here in this area. It's a bunch of women. Well, all right. All right, Lord. Let's sit and talk. And what's beautiful, the text there, it says that the Lord had touched the heart of Lydia and, and moved upon her to listen to the Apostle Paul. The Lord was providentially working, preparing. I want you to know that God prepares in advance in your life. He prepares in advance works for you to do. He is, he is ahead of you, preparing in advance good works for you to accomplish. And you don't know what God's doing in the hearts of people that are ahead of you in your future. But if you will answer the call and you will immediately seek to go, you must know that God's working ahead of you. He's preparing the way. He's preparing the way. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes, or other translations say, order his steps. So that's what we do. We plan. As believers, we plan to go. We say, God, we say yes to your plans in our life, and we're going to go. But you know what the Lord does? He providentially moves and he orders by the power of the Holy Spirit. He directs 
your steps. He gives you this thought and that thought and says, no, connects you with this person. And next thing you know, you get down the road and and you think, how did I get from here to there? And how am I doing this for God in this season of my life? How did it happen that that person got born again? How did it happen that this situation unfolded? It starts with a yes to the call. You'll never get to God's providential moving in your life unless you say yes to the call of God to be used. you got to say, yes, God, I'll go immediately. I will go. And if you will have that surrendered heart, God prepares in advance for you. Good things, gospel purposes for you to walk in. Do you hunger for that? If you're not convinced that God is providential, I'm going to tell you a little story from the Bible, 1 Kings 22. King Ahab, he was an evil king. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he married a pagan wife from a pagan country that worshipped the false god Baal. And he built false idols and statues to false gods to the false god Baal. And the woman he married was Jezebel. And she controlled Ahab and, 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 and brought idol worship into the nation of Israel, into the, in, 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 into the people of God. And, and he was evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so a prophet comes and prophesies to Ahab and said, and, and actually Ahab said, I don't like that prophet. Because every time that prophet comes around, he prophesies bad concerning me. I want a prophet that tells me what I want to hear. Sounds like what we read a few weeks ago, doesn't it? That we want people to say what we want to hear. Itching ears. Only want to hear good things. That's what Ahab said, 1 Kings 22. I don't want that guy to come and prophesy because he never says anything good. So sure enough, prophet comes, prophesies to King Ahab and says that in the battle, that evil is going to come your way. And Ahab said, I told you. He looked at, all, he looked at, he, he, he looked at King Jehoshaphat and said, I told you. He would not tell me something good. So Ahab said, well, when we go to battle... I don't believe that that's going to happen. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen. So here's what I'm going to do. When I go to battle, Jehoshaphat, you wear the king's garments that a king would wear in battle. And I'm going to look like a regular soldier and I'm going to trick God. I know the prophet of God said this was going to happen, but I'm going to get ahead of God. I'm going to outsmart God. You ever try to outsmart God in your life? How has that worked for you? You ever tried to, to, to sneak one over on God? How did it work out for Ahab? When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, so they were chasing after Jehoshaphat, who looked like the king, because their commander said, we're here to kill the king. So they started chasing the man who was not the king. There was in the king of the garments. They, and when they realized it wasn't, because he cried out, Jehoshaphat cried out and said, no, 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 I'm not the king. I'm not the king. I'm not the one you're looking for. They turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man... A random man, a certain man, drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel, Ahab, between the scale, armor, and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle. This is Ahab, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. At random, an arrow was shot, and it got just in the right spot between the the metal and the breastplate of the armor to protect him. It got right in the right spot, and it killed him. God works providentially. It wasn't at random. God moves in the earth as he sees fit, and he does, and he moves providentially. We need to understand and to surrender to what God is doing. We make our steps. We make our plan. We make our plans, but God directs our steps. The purposes of God are providential. It is important for us to recognize what our response is in all of this. In view of a God that is working when we don't see it, what's our response? It's to obey. It's to obey. It's to say, God, I will obey you. I will answer the call. I will get my priorities right in my life. We can't control what God does. The only thing we can control is what we do in our lives and as a congregation. So I just want to say this real quickly as we're concluding this this second thought here. Focusing on the fundamentals keep us steady. Focusing on the fundamentals as a church will keep us steady. 
We must focus on what our priorities are. What are our priorities as a church? We must preach the word. We must love people. We must pray like our life depends on it. And we must make disciples. And then we let God do what he does. We must preach the word. We must love people. We must pray like our life depends on it. And we must make disciples. And then we say, God, you move. You do what only you can do. We do what God has called us to do. And we say, God, you do what only you can do. That was our prayer of surrender this morning. God, we need you. It can be overwhelming at times if we are constantly trying to figure out what we should do next as individuals or as a church. What should we do? How should we approach things? You know what I want to tell you? We need to focus on the fundamentals and God will order our steps. Focus on biblical priorities and God will providentially work. Do you hear me? Focus on biblical priorities in your life and God will providentially work in your life. Paul simply went where God said to go and he preached the gospel and God did his work. Paul simply said yes. He preached the gospel and God did his work. That's what I'm banking on. I probably shouldn't say what I'm about to say, but I'm putting all my chips on that. Not a gambling man. I don't play poker, but I'm putting all of my chips in God's corner. I'm going to stay faithful, and I want you to stay faithful in your life. And as a congregation, we're putting everything we have over onto God. God, we're going to do what you know, what we know you've called us to do, what our biblical priorities are as individuals in a congregation. And God... It's all on you. You have to move. If this is going to work, if this, we're going to move forward in our lives and fulfill God's purposes for our lives individually and corporately, Lord, it's on your, it's, it's because of your hand and what you do. We're trusting you. Amen? So I want to encourage you, if you're in situations right now in your life and you're discouraged because you feel like God's not moving, I just want to tell you, just focus on what you know is right to do. Just focus on what you know is right to do. This is pleasing to the Lord. And this is pleasing to the Lord. Obey the Lord. Seek to please him. God is faithful. And even when you think he's not moving, he is. Even when it looks like he's not with you and he's abandoned you, he has not. He's with you. That's what we know about the purposes of God in the earth is that they are providential. Thirdly, the purposes of God come with opposition. The purposes of of God come with opposition. They begin with a call. And we see God's providential hand in his purposes. But but we can be assured that God's purposes in the earth come with opposition. That's what we see in Acts 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. So, So Lydia was saved. Her whole household was saved. And the church was birthed. And then they were going to the place of prayer. And they met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the most high God. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Over and over and over again. Following the apostle Paul and and the church and the leaders with him. Paul having become greatly annoyed. Doesn't the enemy annoy you? His strategy. Sometimes you just got to get annoyed right? You've had enough. Paul had enough. He was annoyed at, the, at Satan's work. He turned to, said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Sometimes we just got to have enough of the devil. And we, we got to tell him, go. Get out of my life. Get out of my family. Get out of, of my mind, out of my heart. Get away in the name of Jesus But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So I'll give you a picture of what that would have looked like. 
When they would fasten their feet in the stocks in a Roman prison, they would stretch their legs out as far as they could in the stocks to keep them, to, to keep them in a position of complete vulnerability and inability to do anything. So they are, they've just been beaten and they're bloodied and, they're, and their ankles are being stretched or being rubbed by this metal on their ankles and their legs are stretched out in stocks. That's where they are. So here's the encouraging news for us all here this morning. You can be sure that the enemy is continually opposing God's work. And he has one constant goal, and that is to try and stop the name of Jesus being exalted in the earth. You can be sure that opposition is going to come in your life from the enemy, Satan. He wants to stop you from being who God has called you to be in the earth. He wants to stop you from answering the call of God to be a preacher of the gospel wherever you go. Opposition is coming. It is coming. It is guaranteed. It is going to come. It never stops. Opposition never stops. We must not be surprised when it gets here. And we must not stand by idly when it happens. So how does Satan attack us? He attacks us in many different ways. In this situation at Philippi, the church was birthed. Lydia gets saved. Her whole household gets saved. They get baptized. The church is birthed. And then Satan uses a, a young girl, a slave girl that's demon-possessed to antagonize them, to pester them. And then on top of that, when they cast the spirit out, set the girl free, then Satan uses the authorities in that region, that colony, to arrest them, to beat them, to put them in chains, and to stop the message. You guys follow me? The enemy was trying to stop the message from moving forward. What, is it, what, what, what kind of things does the enemy do in our life to stop the message? Where's the opposition come from? Sometimes it's moral failings of leaders. Moral failings of leaders. That's one thing that happens. And we've seen it throughout church history. When leaders fail morally, it's a way that the enemy tries to get in and hinder and stop the gospel. Dissension within the church among members is a way that the enemy uses to try to stop us moving forward in the gospel. When the church is busy fighting with each other, we can't fight the enemy. And he's won a victory. That's one way in which he opposes us. False teachers in teaching that infiltrate the body of Christ to get the church focusing on things that aren't biblical and true. That's what he does. It's opposition. Discouragement and despair. He does it in our life personally, but maybe even as a congregation, we can be discouraged and despairing and we just give up. Have you been there? You just said you just give up. You you, you can't even think about going and answering the call because you're so discouraged and weighed down by the opposition from the enemy in, in your circumstances in your life. And then... Another way in which he works from within and from without is that there's pressure from the outside of the church to not proclaim the clear truths of Scripture. It's a pressure. It's an opposition. You can't say that. You can't say that this is right and this is wrong. You can't say that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You can't speak it clearly and truthfully because the world's not going to hear or listen. It's opposition. It's pressure. It's pressure. Don't, we shouldn't be surprised. First Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when, the glory, when his glory is revealed. Apostle uh, Peter says, don't be surprised when the trial comes. We've all experienced it, right? We go through things and we're like, Lord, why? God, Why? Why am I going through this? It takes us by surprise. Our our breath is taken away from us. And we think, ah, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? Why is this happening? We should be encouraged. Don't be surprised when we go through trials and even ultimately persecution from the outside because it is to be expected because of who we are in Christ. The enemy wants to stop us, wants to hinder us, wants to prevent us from opening our mouth, listen, and living our faith. I'm almost done preaching. I got a little bit more. But listen, he wants to stop us from living our faith. I'm going to give this example. Kareem and Sarah Mestar, they were in my office last week. And Sarah gave this example of what can happen in our life if we're not careful as Christians and how we can view God. 
This could be in America. It could be in France. It could be whatever country, wherever we live. If we're not careful, the picture is like a cupcake. All right? The cupcake. And what's in the middle of a cupcake? The, f- the beautiful filling that tastes so good. Right? It's the substance. It's the core. When you buy the cupcake, it's the icing you, that you, you know, that's good on top. But what you really want is the good stuff that's in the middle. Right? That's what you're after. That's the core of what the cupcake is. And that's, who, that's what our relationship with the Lord is supposed to be like. Our relationship with the Lord is that we want the substance. We want all of him. But sometimes if we're not careful, our relationship with God, we, we, we just kind of like want that cherry. It's like a, the cherry on top. We have all this stuff in our life that's going on. And we just really, our relationship with God is like the, the cherry. I just, I just want the cherry on top. But God says, I want it all. I want all of your life to be for me. And this is what the enemy does with his opposition. He gets us to a place to, to, to where because of pressures, because of, because of struggles, because of temptation and sin, because of all these different reasons we're talking about, he pushes us to a place where we give up living our faith. Our faith is meant to be lived out. Our faith is meant to be lived out. We must be sober-minded. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have to resist him. He wants to stop us and prevent our faith from being lived out. We must resist him firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I got some more good news for you. The evil, the evil demon-possessed girl, the girl that's demon-possessed. That was just one level, but sometimes it gets worse, as we said. Sometimes it gets worse. When the owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But here's what I, here's what I want to tell you as we transition here. The story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end in the stocks. The story doesn't end in the prison. The story doesn't end there. Why? Because God is with you. God is with us. Let's go to Acts 16. Doesn't end there. About midnight. About midnight. You've been in an about midnight situation in your life? About midnight. What are you going to do at midnight? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Yeah, because they had never heard anything like that before. Think about it. Never heard anything like that. They had just been beaten and bloodied. And their ankles and their feet were in stocks. They were stretched out and spread out. They had just been persecuted. They'd never heard anything like that. Who prays to God and sings hymns to God in that position? And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were, were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for, the, for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do? To be saved. He said, I want what you got. I don't know what you got, but what you got is something that I don't have. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. Baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Amen? My fourth point is this. The purposes of God cannot be stopped. The purposes of God cannot be stopped. It begins with a call. It begins with a call. And, and, and opposition is going to come. The purposes of God come with opposition. But lastly, the purposes of God cannot be stopped. What the enemy had meant for evil, God used it for his glory. God providentially needed the gospel to be preached to the Philippian jailer. 
And God used that and got glory. What the enemy had meant for evil, God used it for his glory. What the enemy had meant to use to silence Paul and Silas, God used it to loudly demonstrate his saving power. Amen? You guys get it? Listen, they were locked up and the enemy tried to silence them with a, with a slave girl. Tried to silence them by being arrested and beaten and put in stocks. Tried to intimidate them. But at midnight, what was in them had to come out. What was in them had to come out because they had been delivered. Because they had been set free. And what was in them was going to come out. And when it came out, the Spirit of God moved. And the jailer got saved. And all of his household got saved. The gospel cannot be stopped. When we firmly plant ourselves on that reality, the devil can't do anything to us. Because we belong to him. We belong to Christ. The enemy meant for evil. Do you remember Joseph? Story of Joseph? He had a call. He had a vision. He's going to eventually be number two in command over all of Egypt and be used by God to preserve the nation of Israel. He had a call. The enemy said, you know what? I'm going to stop that. God used Joseph's brothers. And God used some slave traders. And God used, God used other people. God used Potiphar's wife. God, excuse me, Satan. I'm trying, you guys knew what I was saying, right? God used Satan to try to stop him. Leave him for dead. Get sold into slavery. Get wrongfully accused. Satan's used, trying to use all these things to stop God's purposes. God's purposes in the earth cannot be stopped. We may not like how it unfolds. We may not like how, what happens, but, but, but what the enemy means for evil, God will use for his good, for our good and for his glory. Listen to what Joseph said in Genesis 50 to the brothers that sold him into slavery. That Actually, before they sold him into slavery, they tried to kill him. But Reuben stood up and said, no. Listen to what he told them at the end of the story, the end of the journey. Joseph said, do do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Amen? Amen. You got to rest in that reality. So, how do you plant a church? Talking about the birth of a church. How is a church planted? I got to tell you, church planting 101. If you feel called to plant a church, here's what you do. Church planting 101. Obey God. Go where he calls you. Preach the gospel to whomever will listen. Know that opposition will come, but understand that God is providentially at work to demonstrate his power to save and deliver. You obey. How do you plan a church? You don't start with the market strategy. You don't go sur- survey the community and see how we can get, we can get, this, get this market plan going on. What do you do to plan a church? You do what the apostle Paul did. You do what the early church did. What did they go? They went to a city and they said, hey, Do you know who Jesus is? They preached the gospel. And God did his work. And the church was birthed. We each have a part to play in God's unfolding story. I want to end with this. God shook a prison in Acts 16. God shook a prison in Acts 16 and set Paul and Silas free. The gospel went forward in powerful ways. But he did some shaking earlier in Acts chapter 4. You guys might know the story. Peter and John go to the gate beautiful and they pray for the lame man. And they say the famous phrase, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up, take up your bed and walk. So that word spreads. Just like what happened with Paul and Silas, people got upset and didn't understand it. And so, and so with Peter and John, they arrest them. They, they, the, the, the magistrates and the Jewish rulers press, pressure them and say, you got to quit speaking in the name of Jesus or this is going to get worse for you. And so Peter, Peter, Peter and John go back. To the, to, to the church after they've been warned. They go back to the church and they've been warned of future persecution. And listen to this, Acts 4. And when they were, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
And when they heard it, when the people of God heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, And the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the kings plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're they're grieving. They're like, Lord, this persecution, why is it coming? Lord, can you stop this? Can you move and help us? For truly in this city there there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. You guys get that? They didn't pray that the persecution would stop. They didn't pray that the opposition would cease. What did they pray? They prayed that they would have the boldness to answer the call. Because they were about God's purposes in the earth. They prayed not that they would, the opposition would cease. But that they, they prayed that they would be bold in the middle of the opposition. And that's what it's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about for you and for me. That's what it's about for our church. No matter the opposition, we must pray that we would remain bold. And now, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. The jail was shaken. Wherever they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. May we too walk in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. May we too seek the Lord in desperate prayer for his help. God was with Peter and John in Acts 4. He was with Paul and Silas in Acts 16, the birthing of the church at Philippi. And he's with us. He's with us. Do you believe it? Amen. Won't you stand to your feet with me this morning? He is with you and I. He is with you and I. I want us to end with worship again, just singing, just singing this. They're going to sing a couple of times through. Let's just sing this song, this song of, of declaration to the Lord of our dependence upon him and his power in our lives. You're here. You're the provider. All I've ever needed. Jesus, you supply. You're here with wonder-working power. Oh, everything you breathe is coming back to life. At the mention of your name, Every chain will break, I know everything will change, oh Jesus, just the whisper of your name will silence wind and waves at the mention of your name, at the mention of your name. I know every chain will break, I know everything will change, oh Jesus, just the whisper of your name will silence wind and waves at the mention of your name. Sing, you are my strength, you are my strength. You are my anchor, and you never fail. You are my hope, you will deliver. Emmanuel, you are my strength, you are my anchor, and you never fail. You are my hope, you will deliver. Emmanuel, and you are my strength. You are my anchor.
Thank you, God, for being with us today. God, I thank you, Lord, that at the mention of your name, Lord, powerful things happen. Lord, that is our desire here in our personal lives, God, that we want to see you move in our lives in powerful ways. And Lord, we want to see you move in powerful ways in the life of this church. And we know that it's at the mention of your name as we exalt you, as we preach the gospel, as we put you first in all that we do. Lord, you do your work. You providentially move and do things in front of us, ahead of us that we don't know. God, I pray that your people would be challenged, Lord, to answer the call, to say yes to your plans and to trust you with the rest. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. I love you.